Praise the Lord, amen? He is good. The reason why we gather together is to proclaim what Christ has done for us, that he died in our place and that he has risen from the dead. And now in light of that, all men are to believe in him. And we come in a spirit of victory, of power. Although this world has many difficulties in this world, the final word for us Christians is one of victory. The basic idea of Christianity that we just explored in, in Matthew 22 was this idea of loving God and loving one another. Christianity is quite simple. If you boil it down to its most basic element, that's what it is. It's about loving God and loving other people. Now, there's many layers to Christianity, but if you keep it at its most basic level, that's it. We are to love God and to love others. Very simple, yet hard to do. Now, in that idea, there's another idea. And that other idea is the way we show God that we love Him, the way we express our love to God, is by loving other people. We, we love other people because we love God. And the way we show our love for God, the way we show this world that we love God, and the way we show God that we love Him, is that we love other people. And to explore this idea, turn with me to John 21. John 21. This is going to be the basic idea that we unpacked this morning in Philippians. But to give another passage that highlights this idea well, John 21, verse 15. The way we love God is by loving people. John 21, 15. This is after Jesus has risen from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus said a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter, he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So the idea here, what, what Jesus is asking of Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's response is, yes, Lord, I love you. And then what Jesus says in consequence to that is love people. Feed my sheep. That's a metaphoric language for loving people. We see that idea here, and we see that all throughout Scripture. The main way we show, excuse me, not the main, main, main way, one of the main ways that we show our love to God is by loving other people. It's by loving other people. Basic idea. You cannot hate your brother and still love God. First John says that. And if you love God, if you love God, you will love other people. So with that idea, let's turn to Philippians 1. We have a powerful passage this morning, a famous passage, really. If you do expositional preaching, like we do here, these verses come up only so often. And this morning we have a powerful passage, a famous passage. Philippians 1, 21, and then we will read our passage this morning. will be through the end of verse 24. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor, labor for me. 
yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. That's our passage this morning. And for these next two weeks, we're going to be unpacking what verse 21, what verse 21 means. For, so for this week, we're going to unpack what does this phrase, to live as Christ, mean. And then next week, we will unpack what it means to die is gain. What does Paul mean by those two phrases? So that's where we're going. This week and next week, we'll be focusing on verse 21. And to live as Christ, that's an odd phrase. That's an odd statement. The reason why it's odd is because it's grammatically off. We should expect to see some type of adjective after the is. Something like to live is enjoyable. To live is beneficial. To live is a blessing. Something like that. And we have that in this idea of dying. To die is gain. But we don't have that in this notion of living. What Paul says is to live is Christ. Now what does Paul mean about this phrase? What does this phrase mean? We oftentimes say this. This is a very popular verse. But what does it mean? That's what we're going to explore this morning. Three points for you. Three ideas under this idea of to live as Christ. First point for you. If you're a note taker, write this. To live as Christ is to labor for others. To live as Christ is to labor for others. And we get this idea, this, this, ex, this explanation of what this means, to live as Christ, in verse 22. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Paul here in this passage is contemplating his own mortality, something that we should do often. And Paul is doing it in light of his imprisonment. In verse 20, he talks about whether he lives or whether he dies. You see that right there at the end of verse 20? He's thinking about life and he's thinking about death. He's weighing these two options. As we will explore, he weighs the pros and cons of living and dying. And in verse 22, he highlights a conditional statement. If I live, if I am to live in the flesh. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean if Paul continues living in the flesh? Well, he says, if, it, if I live in the flesh... It means fruitful labor for me. Fruitful labor. Those two words are important. First, this word labor. What does this mean? Go to Philippians 2.30. Philippians 2.30. Actually, excuse me, verse 29. Paul here in Philippians 2 is talking about this man, Epaphroditus. The Philippians sent Epaphroditus to Paul to help him in his ministry. He was a missionary from the Philippians. And Paul begins discussing him in 2.19. And he concludes this discussion of Epaphroditus in, at the end of chapter 2. Verse 29. So receive him, Epaphroditus, in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. So Paul's sending him back to the Philippians. And why should... The Philippians honor men like Epaphroditus, verse 30. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. 
You see the word work there in verse 30? The work of Christ. That word is the same word that occurs in Philippians 1.22. Whenever Paul says labor. So we have labor and work. It's the same Greek word underneath both English words. And what Epaphroditus did is he engaged in ministry. That's what Paul means whenever he says the work of Christ in 2.30. Epaphroditus was engaged in Christian ministry. And that's what Paul means in Philippians 1.22. He's referring to ministry. If Paul continues living... What that means for him is that he will continue to engage in Christian ministry. Now, why doesn't Paul use the word ministry here? Why does he use the word labor? The reason why is because ministry is hard. Ministry is hard work. And there are two reasons for this. Ministry is hard work because you have to fight your own sin. That's the first step in being effective in this world for God. Is you have to fight yourself. You have to fight your own sin. And it's very hard to fight your own sin. This is not an easy endeavor. Christianity is not a call to ease and complacency. Fighting one's own sin, saying no to sinful impulses, is one of the hardest things in life that we have to do. Every day we wake up, it's a battle. It is a battle to have victory over yourself, over your impulses, over your sinful desires. It's war, really, every day is war. And even in our dreams, even when we go to sleep, sin can manifest itself. We have no break in this life. Even when we're sleeping, we can have sinful dreams. This is war. It's battle. Ministry is labor because you have to fight yourself. You have to go to war with yourself. It's very hard. And not only do you go to war with yourself, not only do you go to war against your own sin, you also wage war against the sin of other people. You do this in a loving way, but nonetheless, it's warfare. Think about missions. Think about going to distant lands. You go to a distant land, to places you don't know, to people you don't know, to cultures you don't know that aren't familiar to you, to a language you don't know, and you live there for decades. And let's say it's a Muslim population, of which I have a friend engaging in ministry in a Muslim context. They don't want you there. They don't like you. They don't want to hear your message that their religion is wrong and that Jesus Christ is Lord. They don't want to hear that. But that's what we do. (laughs) That's what missions is. We take a message to a people who don't appreciate it. And we sacrifice our whole lives to preach the gospel. That's not easy. That's not fun. It's labor. It's hard work. But that's what we're called to do. And also ministry is loving our brothers and sisters. Working with them in relationships. Relationships can be very hard. And to seek Christ and other people is not always easy. People might get offended. 
There might be slights, and we have to forgive. We have to be long-suffering. We have to be patient. These things aren't easy. This is labor. This is work. Ministry is hard work. It's labor. Now, is it worth it? Is it worth the cost? You better believe it is. The reason why it's worth it is highlighted in this adjective that Paul puts on before the word labor. Fruitful. Fruitful. It is hard work. Ministry is hard work. It's very hard. It's very hard to deny yourself to say yes to Christ and yes to other people. It's very hard. But it's worth it. It's worth it. It's fruitful. And what this word fruitful means, it pertains to spiritual growth. This is a metaphor. I've talked about this before, this notion of fruit. Fruit is a metaphor for spiritual growth. And fruitfulness refers to the spiritual growth in other people. Ministry is all about seeking Christ in other people. A good passage here, I've mentioned it a number of times, is Hebrews 10.24. Let us consider how to stir up in one another love and good works. That's fruit. That's fruitfulness. We labor to obey that verse for other people. In the nations, in our home, in our church, that's what we do. We labor for this. We labor for this spiritual fruit. Your deepest desire for people your friends, your family, people you don't know, is to see Christ in them. That's the best gift you can give to someone, is spiritual fruit, is love and good works, considering how to stir up in one another love and good works. It's hard work, but it's worth it. It's worth the sacrifice. So bringing these points together, kind of summarizing verse 22, the first part of it. To live as Christ... What Paul means here is that he's considering life. He's considering if he continues living. And if he continues living, what that means is that he will continue to labor and that that labor will be fruitful. Paul will continue on in the apostolic calling that he has received if he lives. So to live as Christ here in this passage means laboring for other people. It means laboring for other people. And the application for us here, I think, is twofold. I think, first, adopting this notion, this motto, to live as Christ as our own. If you're a Christian, you have the same spirit living in you that Paul had. And this statement, to live as Christ, should be your motto. Rather, that is your motto. If you're a Christian, that is your life's calling. That so long as you have breath, so long as you have life, you're going to live for Christ. And the way living for Christ, the way that looks like in your life, is that you love other people. Jesus fills us with his love. And we are to give that love to other people. The way we show our love for Christ is by loving others. And what this means for you, Christian, is that you need to be engaged in Christian ministry. Your whole purpose in life is not mainly your career. Your whole purpose in life is not mainly your family. 
For all Christians, your main purpose is to spread the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That is why we're here. We all have that duty. This is not something that just professional ministers do, like myself and Jesse. This is something that we are all called to do. Now, we do it in different ways. There are differences in how we go about spreading the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I do it differently than you do it. And that's okay. That's good. God gives us different gifts. But nonetheless, we all have the same goal in life. It's to live as Christ. And what that means is that we are to labor for other people. We are to labor, to take pains, to go to bed tired. Because we've spent our energy seeking Christ for others. A couple of questions for you to kind of highlight this point. Are you engaged in ministry? Are you building up others in this church? Are you giving your money away to global missions? Are you seeking to find ways how you can share the gospel with your coworkers? Are you encouraging others in their faith? Are you praying with and praying for others? Those are some good questions to figure out whether you're doing this. And we have to do this. We have to do this. We are all in. We have to be all in. It's the body doing ministry. Not just a select few, but everybody. We are all called to this motto, to live as Christ. And what that means is laboring, doing ministry for others. Second point is this. To live as Christ is to sacrifice for others. To live as Christ is to sacrifice for others. And I get this from verses 22 through 24. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. What Paul is doing here is he's weighing the pros and cons of life and death. He's considering life, the pros and cons, and he's considering death, the pros and cons. Verse 23, excuse me, verse 22, mentions an advantage of living. One advantage that Paul has in continuing to live is fruitful labor, further gospel impact, making a bigger difference in the world for Christ. That's an advantage. And then in verse 23, he mentions an advantage of dying. My desire is to be, excuse me, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. So that's an advantage of dying. So we have here an advantage of living, more fruitful labor, and we have an advantage of dying, being with Christ, which is far better. So it seems that based upon those two passages, those two thoughts, 
that Paul is going to die. That Paul would want to die, ultimately. That's what he wants to do. He wants to be with Christ. But then in verse 24, he mentions a a disadvantage of death. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And the disadvantage to death here is that if he dies, he cannot continue laboring for the Philippians. So he mentions one advantage for living, and then an advantage and disadvantage to death. Now what is the motive for Paul considering this disadvantage mentioned in verse 24? What's the motive here? So Paul says that being with Christ is better. Being with Christ, it's better to be with Christ, to be dead and with Christ, than it is for him to continue living. Now ultimately, he decides that he will continue living. That he will continue on in his life. But why? What is the main reason why he chooses to forego death? It's for others. It's for others. Verse 24. Paul considers it more important, the needs of the Philippians, than his own desires. Paul desires to depart and be with Christ, but he says no to that desire. What Paul is doing here in this passage is he's making a sacrifice. The end conclusion... Go to verse 22, the end of verse 22 and the beginning of verse 23. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. Paul doesn't know which he should choose. But the reason why he's even even considering this notion of continuing to live is because Paul makes a sacrifice. Paul's deep desire is to depart and be with Christ. But what Paul does here, and what we will see in the next coming weeks is that he says no to that desire. He says no to his own personal desire. And what does he say yes to? He says yes to others. He says yes to the needs of others. He says no to his own comforts. He says no to his own desires. But he says yes to the comforts and desires of others. What Paul is doing here is he's sacrificing. He's sacrificing his desires for other people. And that's what this notion of to live as Christ means. It means sacrifice. Love, to love other people involves sacrifice. And what sacrificing is, is saying no to what you want and yes to what others want. It's saying no to your own comforts, your own rights, your own desires, and saying yes to the needs, desires, rights of others. And that's what this notion of to live as Christ means. It means to sacrifice for others. Now saying no to oneself, as I've already stated, is very hard. It's very hard to say no to what I want. And this battle of saying no shows up in my life every day. Every day. This is a kind of comical illustration, but it proves the point. There is not a day that goes by that I do not want to eat cookies. 
Not a day. I love cookies. Every night after dinner, I have this craving for sugar. Specifically, sugar found in cookies. The strong desire. And sometimes I give in to it. You know, you have to enjoy life. You can't be a monk. You know, sugar's good. Sugar is a blessing from God. Amen. It is. It is. And I love eating cookies. And I do it often. But some nights, some nights, it's good to say no. And those nights I say no, like last night, ah, uh, ah, uh, it is a battle. It is a battle. You know, the family, we're putting the kids to bed and we're having discussion, but in my mind, I, I'm thinking about a cookie. <laughs> but you have to say no in life. You have to say no. We have these impulses that drive us away from God. And if I continued to eat cookies, if I constantly gave in to this notion of eating a cookie, I would not be healthy. I would gain weight that I don't need to. And saying no, this is a funny illustration, but saying no, that principle of saying no to impulses and desires is essential for Christian living. It's essential for life. These impulses that we have, these sinful desires that we have, Part and parcel to Christianity is saying no to self. And we have to. We have to say no to temptation. We have to say no to our desire for our own comfort. We have to say no to our own impulses. Jesus says we must deny ourselves. And what that means is saying no. And we say no to ourselves so that we say yes to others. We must say no to ourselves sometimes in order to say yes to others. And to live as Christ means this. It means that we have to deny our own pleasure, deny our own rights in order for others. And there's no shortcut here. There's no life hack. There's no TED talk that you can go listen to that's going to help you here. This is very hard. But this is what it means to live as Christ. Is to sacrifice. Is to say no to yourself and say yes to others. Our only hope here is the grace of God. The grace of God has to change you and to give you new desires. But you have to fight for it. Not be complacent about it. Learn to say no to yourself. Learn to deny yourself for the sake of the benefit of others. That's what living, that's what to live as Christ means. To sacrifice for others. Third point, last point. Very related to the second point. Third point is this. To live as Christ is to be selfless towards others. To live as Christ is to be selfless towards others. Verse 24, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Paul here in verse 24 is concerned with the Philippians. He's ultimately concerned for the Philippians, their needs, their desires, their well-being. Paul is saying no to himself in order to say yes to them. And that idea of saying no to oneself and yes to others is to sacrifice and also to be selfless. 
to be selfless, to give of one's self. That's what we're called to do as Christians. To live as Christ means to be selfless towards others. Oftentimes when we speak of sin, we speak of sin as deeds. As deeds, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not steal. Those are deeds. That's sin done on the outside of our bodies. But there's also this notion of sin as a posture, as an inner disposition of the heart. And one strong inner disposition that we have as sinners is selfishness. We often, often do things that are motivated by the idea of what can I get out of it? What can I get out of it? This is a deep, dark cancer that plagues our souls. And oftentimes we can even do the right thing for selfish reasons. We often do this give a compliment to someone so that they recognize us, so that they give a compliment back. We do this all the time. Selfishness truly does invade the very deep part of our souls. But to live as Christ means to reject this tendency to say no to self. To say no to self. And what the gospel does, what Jesus Christ does, is that Jesus was the most selfless person ever. Being the God-man, he was perfect. And in his life, he modeled perfection. And what Jesus gives us in the gospel is he gives us himself. And when the Spirit enters your life, and when the Spirit begins to change you, the Spirit begins to illumine the ways that you're selfish. And begins to poke and prod and say, hey, you're being selfish here. That's what the gospel does. And as we grow in sanctification, as we grow in a life of obedience, as the motto to live as Christ becomes more and more precious to us, Jesus takes away that selfishness. And what he puts in our heart is selflessness. Rather than being concerned for ourselves, rather than focusing on What we want, the power of the gospel that delivers us from that, that cancer. And what it does, what the power of the gospel does is it turns our affections and desires towards others. That's what to live as Christ means. It means to be selfless. Paul was selfless. Even with the idea of dying, he did not want to die because what it meant was that others would not have what they need. And what Paul wants most is not himself, but others. That's what to live as Christ means. It means to be selfless. A point of application for us in the church, right in the church. Sometimes whenever we come to church, we look for others to meet our needs. We don't step out to see how other people are doing. We, we wait for others to come to us. And that type of posture is selfish. To live as Christ means that we take an active approach towards meeting the needs 
and desires of others. It's not what you can do for me. It's what can I do for you? That question, what can I do for other people? That is asking that question, seeking that question for others, is the main way we obey this notion of selflessness. What can I do for you? How can I help you? I'm not going to insist on my rights, my own desires and pleasures. What can I do for you? That is Christian love. Whether it's in a marriage, whether it's in a family, whether it's in the church, we have to seek the needs of others to deny ourselves and seek how we can make much of others. Life is not about you. We must stop acting like it is, and by the grace of God, we must put to death selfishness. Kill it. So that we might make much of other people. That's what to live as Christ means. What I've been arguing this morning is that the main way One of the main ways we show our love for God is by showing love to other people. The power of the gospel, the way it takes root in our lives, is it turns us from ourselves and it turns us to other people. We labor for other people. We seek Christ for others. We seek to produce in other people love and good works. And we do this sacrificially by saying no to what we want and yes to other people. And we do this selflessly. We make much of others. That's what to live as Christ means. That's Paul's posture. And this is what the gospel does. And our only hope here, our only hope here is the grace of God. We are unable to impact ourselves in this way. Our only hope is grace. But we have to fight for that grace and we have to ask God for that grace. We cannot be passive in pursuing this, these ideas of living as Christ. We have to be active. Pray with me. Father, we give you praise for your great word. We give you praise for, for Paul's example. We give you praise for the book of Philippians. And Father, we do ask for greater and deeper conviction regarding our lack of love for others. Father, we ask for your forgiveness for not living out to live as Christ. We confess that far too often, Father, we are selfish. Far too often we consider our own desires and comforts more important than the desires and comforts of others. And Father, we ask that you would kill that tendency in our lives, that you would kill it by the power of the Spirit, that you would deliver us from this cancer of selfishness. And Father, we pray that by your great grace, by, the sheer, by your sheer love, that you would look upon us and deliver us from this tendency towards self. We pray that you would produce in us a desire to labor for other people and to do so sacrificially and selflessly. Father, produce this in our lives, produce this in our families, produce this in this church. And Father, as you do, we pray for a greater desire to go and serve you in this world through missions. Bless your work here, Father. To you be the glory forever and ever. Amen.